Good evening and welcome to Basement Side. I'm your host, Deeg, and I'm here today to talk about Planet Side 2's Outfit Wars with Legends of Planet Side 2 Recursion. I'm here with Sale, Disenfranchised, and Therum. How do you gentlemen do today? We're good. Doing great. Glad to hear that. Are you guys managing to uh, get some rest after the massive push to compete in this thing? Oh, absolutely. What's rest? I think a lot of people were asking themselves that question during this drive. Um, so the Outfit Wars match itself was on the 11th, not the, this past weekend, but the one prior. And we're looking towards a new season coming up at the start of next month. And uh, so I think this is a good moment for us as a community to step back, look at the experience, and think about what went well, what didn't, um, what we learned from what we went through. But in order to do that, um, it's good to have these conversations. So I reached out to Recursion, wanted to see if they had an angle they wanted to present or anything they thought would be worth talking about, and I think we're going to have a great show, guys. So before we actually get started into the nitty-gritty of the Outfit Wars experience, I want to give you gents a chance to introduce yourself one by one, starting with Sale. All right. Uh, my username is Sale. I've been playing the game since release. Um, I've been a member of Recursion for like six or seven years or something, like a horribly long time. I was a platoon leader in Desolation, and my rank is Director. Great. Disenfranchised. My name is Disenfranchised, obviously. I've been a part of, I've been playing this game since release, um, since the early beta days. Um, my current rank in Recursion is Officer. I've been a part of Recursion for the last year. Excellent. And uh, last but not least, Theram. Uh, I've been playing since launch, and I've been in recursion, I think, six years now, just about. I'm an officer, and yeah, that's pretty much it. So we have some old hands of the Planetside community here today. Um, I actually will go last. I'm Deeg. I'm the one talking, put this all together. I play some Planetside too, although compared to these guys, I'm pretty casual. Um, and, um, but what I want to ask next is, um... I think Recursion is a name that's associated with a lot of things for people. For some people, it's a, a really cool overlay. And I'm sure you guys get nagged about to the end of the Earth. For other people, it's just uh, something you avoid when you go to bases because you don't want to get crushed. But I want to hear from your guys' perspective. What is Recursion to you? Uh, what? Give me the Recursion elevator pitch. Anyone can jump in. <clears throat> I can do that one. Go ahead. So go ahead. for me, Recursion it's you know it's a multi-faction multi-server outfit it's an emphasis on you know getting getting your average you know play style into a situation where you can enjoy the game without having to compromise on maybe not everyone is taking it as serious as you maybe no one's taking it serious at all it's a good place a good community filled with a lot of people that you know like the game they want to get better at the game i mean it's not just you know an outfit for the game planet side too it's not just a chat box and that's one thing i i think i really like about recursion altogether if i was to pitch it to someone <clears throat> i would say it's just an outfit that allows you to better your better your uh, your skills at planet side while also being with people that have the same objective as you which is you know win we would hope that everyone's objective is eventually to win at some point but that would be that would be the pitch i would do you know, I think uh, recursion is uh, our attempt to merge uh, a bunch of concepts that aren't really 
merged in any other game or way. Um, I think like, uh, for instance, in a lot of lobby shooters, you grab like six to 10 friends and you, uh, you know, get really good, whether it be siege or counter-strike or whatever. And, uh, you know, that creates a certain, uh, behavior. And then you have like an MMO where you have like 40 people trying to raid or 40 people trying to coordinate to, you know, down some boss. And then, uh, you know, that creates some behaviors. And because this is an FPS MMO, our, you know, our job is to try to merge these two formulas. And so we need to scale up the FPS aspects and we need to scale up the skill aspects. And so you're trying to find that, that, uh, that middle ground, that bullseye where you're taking from the good parts of, you know, an FPS background and taking the good parts of say an MMO background and uh, creating one vision that is uniquely planet side too. I really like that idea. So the shooter elements in Planet Side are, I think, fairly straightforward for most people to see and understand. I wonder, Sale, if I could ask you to expand a little on the MMO angle. Um, a platoon in Planet Side is up to 48 dudes, which is much more similar to like a, a, a large MMO raid. But I don't know if a lot of people understand um, kind of what the similarities between approaching an MMO and Planet Side might look like. Uh, could you expand upon that? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, so let's talk about the triangle, right? Any MMO is going to have a triangle of like healers, damagers, and tanks, right? right. Like that's the, the, the classic one. Well, the trying the, the Holy Trinity is much more complicated in this game where it's almost like per base and there's like soft counters and hard counters. And, and so the triangle looks like this crazy, almost demonic symbol that you have to kind of you know like a, a sky guard for instance is a really good counter against air to ground esfs oh. but it's not as great of a counter to a liberator right and so it's like while it's aa and you could think you could you, you could you could put it into terms of like it's infantry armor and air but within those realms there's a bunch of soft and hard counters so uh, if you want to play it like a triangle, like like if say your enemy has ten liberators, you know if you brought maybe fifteen ESFs, you might be able to overcome that if they were eight if they were air to air spec'd. And if you think about it, you know they're spending two to three people per liberator, and you've spent less than half of that in ESFs. And so you know that's an example of how you can get a, a force multiplication out of this soft and hard counter uh, methodology. And so, you know, you're looking at a very complex PVP MMO. And I think that's something that, uh, you know, is probably more frustrating about us than maybe say our, our shooting aspect is that, you know, sometimes we're, we're leveraging vehicles or armor or air and uh, we try to merge all those things. Does that answer your question? Definitely. Yeah. The Holy Trinity is one of those, concepts that i think is really well understood in the gaming world you tank to soak up damage you do damage to, to deal damage or you heal to replenish damage planet side takes that idea and says well how many little gameplay niches can we find in this sandbox shooter space um and we saw that in action in in the outfit war itself but i don't want to zoom straight into that because i know that's going to be a nice chunky topic 
um, I want to build the tension a little bit. Um, Theram, do you have anything you want to add about recursion? Uh, well, Cell kind of hit the central point of just the MMO FPS being unique from what you might get in an MMO or what you might get in an FPS. It's like, I think what draws me back to this game is just that combination, really, where you're going to like a lobby shooter, you can play the same maps over and over again. It can get pretty competitive, but ultimately, you know, there's not really similar moments in other games to when you're on a point with a dozen people getting pushed by several dozen people for you know 30 seconds that feel like an hour and you know, you're just out there doing battle it's insanely fun uh and yeah like that just agreement i guess on that's what's fun in plant side too is the commonality between a lot of the members in recursion i think what you're saying is something that i've heard from other folks who love planet side too as well um the unique combination of it's a pvp shooter but it's big. The scale is large, and it's so sandboxy compared to a lobby shooter like a Counter Strike or an Overwatch, where it's a little more transactional of an experience. Experience, yeah, exactly. Or like in, in, you know, the way individual skill I think interacts as well uh, with just the chaos of the environment is also kind of unique and at times both frustrating and another time, you know great and i think that probably has to do with just you know whereas say an mmo would have rng simulate the chaos of a really complex system you know in planet side when a ambusher light assault jump jets up towards the railings in the tech plant and shotguns you right in the chest when you have like 20 friendlies looking in that direction you know there's actually like a very clear uh chain of events you know that are all just causally related. I guess, you know, it's not just uh-huh. on its face, RNG, you rolled wrong, you die. It's, you know, circumstances added up to just this crazy scenario where that, stuff like that makes the game pretty, pretty fucking awesome. Yeah. And the nature of having all that chaos and so much stuff going on means that there's a, I feel like an enormously high skill ceiling of ways you can learn to have a better impact on the game either by your individual agency or working with others, right? And recursion seems to be, like, one of the better manifestations of that. I think learning the uh, gameplay mechanics so that you might, you both individually and as a group, so you can better manipulate them to dictate the terms of gameplay is, uh, you know, just bringing order to the chaos of it all is, is just in itself insanely fun. Absolutely. Well, that's a great introduction to recursion. Um, thanks, guys. The next place I think would be interesting to go potentially would be to talk about the start of this whole Outfit Wars experience. Um, I know a lot of people's first blush with it was when the content creators got access to it and started streaming it. Um, some folks were involved in the alpha testing. Um, how early did recursion get involved with Outfit Wars? Uh... We saw some of those tests that you're talking about. Um, it's it's interesting because I, I think, you know, from a historical perspective, we've been involved in Outfit Wars since they were invented. I mean, we did MLG War Report and all kinds of events when, you know, the company at the time, 
uh, was posturing towards a competitive mindset. In fact, uh, we, we would make strats around the Nexus, which was the first battle island. I mean, I've, I, it existed. Uh, we've been there. And I think um, we invented recursion, you know, to play in the Nexus. And through that, uh, through that uh, you know, potential uh, competitive future, you know, we built the team without the game to play yet. And so in some ways, Outfit Wars is sort of a, uh, uh, you know, it's a validation of, of what we're, what we've always tried to, to bring to the table. And so it, it's really great that uh, the, the current company, Rogue Planet Games, is, is finally implementing this thing that I think a lot of us wanted from the get-go. I like that word you used, validation. One of the, I think um, the Planetside 2 community as a whole has been through a lot over the last few years with the direction of the game and its success or lack of it. And I know I've. it's plain to see, if you've been involved in the community at all, the frustration folks have had with where it's going. And um, it's interesting to hear you talk about how you were there for the start of an outfit war the whole concept of it and um how people have been trying to use planet side to compete as long as planet side's been around um and now that rogue planet has picked up that torch and made it part of the game um a lot of folks who thought planet side was never going to be for them are i think are maybe reevaluating that is that the sense that you guys get as well i think oh, for sure i think from the early onset when, you know, like you said, the uh, first tests were done, the content creators were showing it, uh, showcasing it. I think a lot of people were kind of just excited to play Planet Side again. I think um, the reason for that is just the Outfit Wars provides some semblance of an end game to work toward and an interesting one at that, potentially. And so I got a lot of people excited early on. Um, in terms of the uh, rules of the qualification all that it's a different subject entirely like how it actually played out you know historically but you know everyone was really excited just to play planet side honestly right just need a good excuse i think a lot of people Mm -hmm. like that's the way i felt like um i was last fall i was coming off of uh dipping my toes into wow classic i decided to take that plunge when it came out um because i love big gaming Mm -hmm. communities and uh i i pulled out of it um that what i thought was a good point but i was kind of between games coming into the start of the year looking at planet side like i always do like am i going to get back into planet side now and then i heard about this outfit wars thing and i was like oh yeah i gotta find out what this is about um i am so you guys saw it and immediately were excited to get to, to jump in um let's talk a little bit about how what was next for outfit wars so it was part of an escalation update and this escalation update included not just the Outfit Wars match itself and the framework to, to get there, but it also included the Bastion, which is, I think, been a huge rallying point for most people who play the game. What a cool feature. We got Star Wars now, boys, is what I keep hearing. Um, and uh, the War Assets system. Um, I don't really want to f- give a lot of... I don't really... I want to focus more on the Outfit Wars side of the equation, but I wonder if I can get a hot take from you guys on how you feel the Bastion and war assets have affected the game uh okay hot take i think prior to their implementation the 
outfit system did not serve much, if any, actual gameplay functionality. Meaning to say that if you had 24 people, whether they were in the same outfit or not, you know, did not impact gameplay very much mechanically, you know, at a base or in a fight. But now, them being in the same outfit, you know, having a shared resource pool, etc., is actually a mechanical way that, you know, the, the social apparatus of an outfit can now interact with the game. I think that's a good thing, ultimately. And how have you seen that new emphasis on outfit mechanics drive outfits to engage with the game? That's a very uh, broad <clears throat> question. Um, I've noticed a lot of interaction um, of older outfits trying to come back and recruit. And, you know, they're trying to resurrect themselves out of the grave, which is great. You know, it's great to see that there's now outfits emerging. But more importantly, you know, more important than the older outfits coming back, there's new outfits, you know. And, you know, when we, when we think of a new outfit, we think of like 10 dudes, you know, that are trying to get something started, but it never really ever goes anywhere. But with this new format, <clears throat> I think there's definitely, you know, there's a, an ability for, you know, new outfits to actually make a, you know, have a, have a name for themselves instead of just getting lost in the, lost in translation with, you know, the server, whatever server you're on, you know, main, main, you know, big fits and mid fits and leap fits, whatever you want to call them. You know, oftentimes those newer outfits get lost in translation. I think now, now's a good chance for them to start making, making a name for themselves. Um, I think it's tough to, to talk about this without saying at least some context with regards to you know just what's implied by the social apparatus of an outfit interacting with right prior to okay. yeah prior to uh you know the resource system and all that there would be you know if you were just purely concerned with pound per pound capability there would be no reason to include a you know just a new player or even like a subpar sub average player there would be no reason right within right. the parameters of wanting to be as effective pound per pound as possible if all you cared about was raw effectiveness there'd be no reason to refuse somebody within those parameters but now you know it's more interesting than those raw general terms of you know pound per pound being only slightly more nuanced than just raw effectiveness now you know, including a new player, right, ultimately requires you to possibly train them or teach them how to play the game so that they can become a more useful element of the outfit. And I think ideally there'd probably be other outfits doing the same. And so if you can't provide that type of environment, you know, where someone can learn the game and have fun, then they'll probably go elsewhere. And I think there's probably a lot of... Uh, just thoughts in the community out there of how the system wasn't adapted perfectly to how the outfits have formed over these years. But I think uh, just for whatever the future may hold, it's not just necessary, but almost a good thing, really, that, you know, outfits have much more incentive now. You know, outfits that are too closed off to insulate and exclusive have reasons to open up. And outfits that are you know, just your mainstay type of Zerg fits, right, will, by extension, probably have reason to just put a little bit more effort into each individual player and just, you know, which will in turn make each individual player's experience more meaningful, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's overall a good thing, yeah, the outfit yeah. resources and whatnot. 
making better plans. I'd have to I'm, agree. I really like one thing you said there I'm about um, the perhaps um, inclination to ignore the potential of a new player without these outfit incentives that has been flipped. And the fact that outfits have a goal to drive towards that makes them engage with new people and how that really feeds mm -hmm. back to one of PlanetSide's biggest forever problems, which is holding on to new people and showing them how to play the game, right? Yeah, I think it's the incentives towards players really is the, I think it was part of the issue. Like we would, you know, in recursion, get the odd new player here or there, run the open squad here or there, and you know, get some players who, you, know, you just teach them the raw fundamentals and they can figure out a lot for themselves. It's just the game is kind of complex. And prior to the outfit, res uh, outfit resource system, there weren't any obvious goals for an outfit to look at and structure their gameplay towards. And so in addition to having to teach a new player all the gameplay fundamentals and all that, they'd have to teach them at least like some rudimentary like <laughs> philosophy almost, I guess, with regards to like, uh, how, we, how we play the game, right? And you, you see this kind of manifest in... Just for example, the the idea of like the QRF outfits, you know, this is what we do. QRF and the QRF. Uh, quick reaction force, like people that basically redeploy constantly and do a lot of gal drops and are basically about moving across the map super fast. You know, that was kind of a common outfit culture that developed, I think, because um, well, numerous factors ranging from like the fact that having everyone redeployed to a galaxy gets all twelve of your squad mates in one neat place, which helps keep everyone you know together and in the same base to just the fact that you know the galaxy can get you anywhere you want to go on the map and so you know you had a lot of outfits at least you know i can only speak so much for uh for webson on connery but you know a lot of outfits have developed around that concept because it's sort of simple enough that you can easily get newer players into it right, right. and effective enough that you know, you're not just grinding into the the meat grinder right. constantly. Yeah, redeploy into the galaxy, drop a beacon, and fight to your dead, mm -hmm. right? Yep, pretty simple. Yeah, it's uh, simple, it works, and um, I, I see that everywhere that I've played, so it makes a lot of sense. Um, so outfit incentive is a really interesting topic. Um, I wonder if the next way to drive that discussion is just to go down this outfit wars path. And I think what we're coming up on potentially is talking about qualifications. Mm -hmm. um, so there were two phases of the qualification this time around. Um, and that's because midstream RPG stopped and made a change. Um, roughly, um, those changes were intended to shape better planet side, I think, for people playing the game. Um, so um, I think most people watching this will know, but just for posterity, um, an important part of the outfit wars was determining on, via live play on the planet side servers which outfits would get to compete. In order to get there, you actually had to score points for your outfit in the live game, which you did by capturing bases and doing a bunch of other activities related to base capturing. So um, the qualification phase was a set amount of time, about a week at the start, as I think what was planned for, where um, outfits could accrue those points. And number one would be, would be the gold contender, number two, silver, number three, bronze. After a few days of qualification, 
and points racking up, RPG put the brakes on and decided to make a, a few changes. I'll, I'm going to call it just a couple of them. One of them was rather than having every single outfit member in a hex count towards outfit wars points, they made it so only the top, I think 10 to 12 of them counted towards it, which incentivized um, smaller outfits to participate or larger outfits to split up among multiple bases. Uh, it also, they also changed it so that some experience sources no longer counted towards Outfit Wars points, one of those being um, revives, heals, and resupplies, which are a little easier to game. At that point, uh, I think some outfits made different choices about whether to, to participate or not. I was talking to Madman about Outfit Wars, and one of the major things we discussed is how B-Way was, um, Bushido Way, was not involved in the Outfit Wars at the start. They decided there was no way they was going to be able to be a fun experience for their outfit by engaging with the system as it was. When that changed, that was just enough for them to jump in. Um, so now, walk me down the path for recursion of how you guys approach qualification from the start, and what, if anything, changed for you guys when uh, the uh, reset happened. Well, as you know, we have our stat tracker, and, and we have a lot of data. And our data suggested that uh, we would be competitive at Outfit Wars. Uh, our data suggested that playing as we do, we would be silver tier um, for NC Connery. And, and obviously we're multi-faction, so we are always looking at whether that's the, uh, the best course of action. Uh, so we knew we would be competitive just because we're a little bigger than, than most. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, if you want to call us an elite fit, let's just... Whatever we are, we're we're a little bigger than than our usual weight class um, of people, and so uh, that combined with the opposition's level, uh, like Bway had a, a very aggressive uh, opponent in SKL, right? Like one of the largest North American outfits, you know. So they had a, quite a, a job. It was a two week thing for us, and and so we knew we would place. And uh, people were really motivated, and we thought if we tried really hard, we could take gold. So we began from the outset uh, striving to try to take that, uh, you know, knowing full well that if we reached, you know, if we reached for, for the stars, we'd grab something. So we knew we'd play in Desolation, not necessarily gold. Okay. I think okay. from, uh, you know, it's easier to talk about these things in retrospect, I think, than going narratively through, like, in, in the beginning. So I think um, what we know now in retrospect, I'll start from there, is one of the awkward things about the way the Outfit Wars qualification is set up is that you're kind of competing against your own faction, right? And that goes against what, ideally, I think everyone has an intuition that you would want to, you know, your faction is just an ex a further extension of your, your team. You know, you have your squad then your platoon then your faction but with the outfit war system you're competing with outfits that are on your own faction which means that there are times where you know if you want to get more points or increase the disparity between you and whoever you're against it would actually serve you best to not play in the best interest of your faction and maybe even sometimes outright handicap sure which obviously doesn't really create good gameplay 
Can you or give us an least, example or two? Well, being on VS, right? If we had people playing VS, we would purposefully avoid fighting the people on NC, right? Because why, why would we? If we wanted to get into the outfit wars, there was a unfortunate circumstance of NC having just chronic overpop and therefore queues mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the qualification period. And so what ended up happening, what we ended up finding is that just having our people form, you know, all of our overflow form squad on one of the other factions, and then just avoiding fighting, you know, just the NC people, uh, we'd actually increase the disparity between ourselves and you know, the people we were or the outfits we were competing against, which I don't think is uh, really conducive to good gameplay, but yeah. Yeah, it definitely sounds a little sideways to what, to what, you know, honest outfit competition. I'm still not 100% I understand the mechanic that you're describing about, uh, oh, about the well, multi-faction. Okay. Yeah, so basically, it, you know, you have three factions and, you know, if your outfit is a top faction or the top outfit on one faction, right? Mm-hmm. If mm-hmm. that faction does really well, your outfit's going to have to do a lot more caps to maintain that proportion of the pie, so to speak. Right. If, however, your outfit is at the top of that faction and that faction is doing very poorly, maybe even getting double teamed, what ends up happening is no caps are happening, the gap doesn't close, and you maintain a lead. Mm. Right, and this, that points back to the way that the point system favors captures over defense. I think more so, it's definitely a strong point. And there's also something to be said about like actions per player, mm-hmm. you know, just overall player activity, right? If you have 48 people doing nothing but ghost capping, they're going to generate a lot of points with the current system. Whereas if you have 12 people that you know, are doing battle on the front lines constantly, you know, they will likely not even get a single base over the course of, say, 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, they might get a base or two in an hour, you know, even though they are doing, you know, just enormous, enormously more than uh, you know, the aforementioned 48 people sure. were doing. And I think that, yeah, you know, the fact that that's something that can very easily and clearly happen with the current system, it's obviously a problem, but that's just my perspective on it, I guess. Makes sense. Did that change very much when the reset happened, or did that is that more or less a through line for the whole qualification? Uh, so let's talk about the that reset now. I think everybody can agree, you know, we were really screwed by that reset. But um, one thing to talk about is, I think it was a a uh, anti exploitation mm. measure that. Uh, because one of the things that would happen is when a continent locks, all of the bases go a certain color, right? Right. And if when a base captures, one of the mechanics is that you get the point. So for instance, it's like, let's say it's four points. Well, you get a one-time, when, a, when any base captures, no matter what outfit, you get a one-time point score for the people who captured that base, as far as my understanding. So if, if Regent Rock gets captured everyone in the hex would get four points. Mm -hmm. Now, if a continent locked and there were people on that, all those bases that would go blue, they would all get that one time capture point. And so play uh, outfits with a crazy amount of players could send like 
Mm. We they could get like a uh, hundred and twenty points in in four minutes with that method, which is yeah. crazy amount of they points. Tone so, each pond in the continent flips and get all those points. Exactly. So Rel decided instead of having, uh, you know, and I'm speculating instead of having the desolation be ruined by exploiters. And, and you saw some like six man outfits that using this method mm. were getting on those desolation slots. Uh, he did this not to allow, you know, smaller, more skilled outfits like B way a chance to try to get in the runnings, but did this to prevent exploitation. Also, he pushed it uh, one step towards, you know, maybe a better paradigm with the 10 kills per player kind of thing those two in combination are what caused the matches that you saw, whether it be DPSO's inclusion or B-Way's inclusion. Mm-hmm. And so there's, there's a hard, if that's what you're asking, the hard numbers on, on why this happened. Well, there they are. Hmm. Well, you guys have the numbers. That's insanely interesting. Um, I had heard about the continent flipping mechanic previously, but I didn't understand that to that grain of detail. Um, did that stay in after the flip? After the reset, no, that that's what they were. That was that was fixed. It was removed. You can no longer dip your toes into twenty bases and get all of them points. So, mm-hmm. uh, hmm. but I think what actually happened is that now that the qualification, instead of being a two-week marathon, was more of a five-day sprint, mm-hmm. or maybe a more five a five-day hell jog. Let's call that, <laughs> and you know shades in them they said well we might not want to do a sprint against three thousand active members but we might be able to do a hell jog and uh and i believe that is why uh and and i hope they see that pattern that if the qualification is right you'll get the right outfits if the qualification is wrong you'll get the wrong outfits do you think we got the right outfits oh lord no but as a first run um, I mean, you're seeing, I mean, we're going to talk about the match, but, mm-hmm. you know, as a teaser, you know, let's talk about what you saw there. Like you saw, you know, Zerg fits or, or outfits that don't really prioritize training or practice, practicing. You saw them on the test server looking at things uh, competitively. You know, there was people that already do this kind of things. They go on Jaeger, they go to test, but you also saw some of the Zerg fits maybe, you know, looking at their outfits differently. And so I think it created pressure on both ways. It's creating pressure on like the insular outfits that already do a lot of competitive type planet side to scale up their operations. Mm -hmm. And it also took the larger, more inclusive out or inclusive outfits and said, you need to skill up your operation. Right. So I think you hit it from both ends. Is it a bullseye? It's way off, but it's in the, I mean, I, I have faith that the next round will be better. That's important. That's an important takeaway from this. And if anything, RPG needed to demonstrate during this process, it's that um, they are able and willing to iterate quickly in a positive direction. Um, a lot of things to, to respond to there, but um when we were heading down the path of qualification um, before the reset and everyone knew there was exploitation happening and everyone who wanted to be in the outfit war was either, I don't think anyone was really excited about doing those exploits, but everyone wanted to be in the outfit war. It's important. Um, 
And my sense of it is that the community was heading into a kind of a dark direction where no one really believed that the outcomes were indicators of very good planet side being played. And so if anything, um, I'm pleased that they jumped in and did something positive um, to, to kind of nudge it in the direction you're talking about. I also really appreciate um, the perspective you and Theram both shared. I think it was Theram um, about helping. Um, by the way, Zerg fit. I, I know to some people that's kind of a negative negative word. Um, I think, and I hope we're all using the word Zerg fit just to talk about our our more community focused outfits in Planet Side. Um, right, the larger the larger I, outfits that have got a you know more of a community aspect. I personally you know, my, go ahead. My, my, like, uh, the way I describe it, you know, you know, you've got, it's a hierarchy, right? Like, Zerg fits need to exist in this game, mid fits need to exist in this game, you know, elite fits, tactical fits, comp fits, whatever you want to call them, they need to exist in the game. You know, it's not, it's not meant as a derogatory term. It can come off as derogatory, but, you know, they're, they're all three, and they all three are necessary in this game, and without them, you know, without a Zerg fit, who, who, where are you going to get these big battles at? You know, right. the big epic battles where it's just tanks, air, everything coming at you. I'll go a step further and say, I think the best plan side is so long as they don't avoid each other when everyone is Zerging. Like if you, two, two forces, two Zergs clash with each other, that's the best plan side there is. It's when they avoid each other that's kind of lame, but you know, I don't. Yeah, that's the plan side that uh, like outsiders really resonate with. Is when you see VODs of people in tanks or planes and, you know, in enormous galaxy formations, you know, heading into gunfire with tanks all over the place and Sunderers and people doing crazy shit. Um, the chaos, the the pure sandboxy chaos of Planetside is what calls people in. Um, so, yeah, that, that Zerg fit versus Zerg fit. Um, I, I, you know, ha having, I guess I'm just really, uh, really validating what you guys were saying. And nothing more to add to that. So okay. that plant site without okay. other fits. Right. And we were, I think what we were talking about too was also how um, the direction that these different kinds of outfits were kind of nudged by this outfit system. The Zerg fits encouraged to narrow their focus a little bit, think about what consolidating looks like. And the smaller, more um, exclusive outfits, thinking about what does it look like to open our doors? How do we bring more people in to get more towards that kind of um, right-sized community where people can have a really great time playing the game? Um, outfit Wars had 48 players per outfit. Um, and I don't have a great sense. I'm curious what you guys think about whether, about what size of an outfit you really need to to be successful in Outfit Wars as it stands today? That is a great on, question. Go ahead there. Well, it, it depends on the server, I think, because there are, you know, there's the rough size, but there's also additional factors, like specific. Some of the connery, I, I might imagine, is you know, there's a lot of Australian and Chinese and Japanese players who, you know, when they're in the non-prime time hours, you're doing battle with your tag and they end up getting a base yeah, it's something that a single member or two, you know, that plays in more prime time, wouldn't be able to uh, to accomplish. And so there's there's factors such as that. I think the 
affect just what exactly is the uh, the right size of outfit that you want. Um, I think there's a minimum that can be easily established, which is you need to be large enough to be map relevant, right? Meaning to say that your outfit goes and attacks a base, and if it gets def- even if it gets defended, you have a chance at capturing it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, if you alone go and try to attack a base, you know, if several more people show up, they blow up your sunder. I think there's a lot of people that are familiar with the experience of, you know, you spend all the time driving your bus up, trying to start a fight, and then, you know, like five or six people show up and immediately uh, overwhelm you and kill your bus. It's like, you know, you're definitely not map relevant solo. Right. So you have right. to scale up from there. And I think... Uh, so map relevance scales with um, the server you're on, obviously. Um, probably the time zone you're playing in, like you called out earlier. Like maybe mm-hmm. one player can be map relevant in certain times of the day. <laughs> you know? Yep. Uh, so you guys play on Connery. What's uh, map relevant at prime time look like on Connery? Uh, I would say minimum is a squad of people. That's 12. Like that's 12. Yep. And you, if, if that's the minimum that you're going with, you need some pretty exceptional players. I think map relevant with your average group of players would put you somewhere between 24 and 36. And where you start to kind of lean a bit too much in the, into the way of, you know, just having so many players, you're going to get some bases somewhere. You know, it is probably 48 plus, like going over a platoon, I think you start seeing kind of just diminishing returns per player, mm-hmm. you know, beyond that 48 mark. And uh, how strong were you guys rolling during qualification? Oh, good, good we lord! Act- we actually were over forty-eight um, often, which, like I said earlier, you know, we ended up with cues on our own faction, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. entire squad basically unable to log in and play with the outfit. Which, you know, for some people, the whole reason they returned was to play with the outfit, and now there's this fat queue sitting in. Um, luckily. For our specific case, you know, we have a lot of veteran players who have characters on multiple factions, ASP, BR100 characters on multiple factions, and so right. we'll be able to start up a squad on one of the other two factions and play planet side, but I imagine that's not a luxury available to your, you know, your average player. Right. To be competent and have be battle-ready at multiple factions, multiple servers, whatever. Servers, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay, you guys were just were over a platoon deep. Um, that's what I've seen. Um, I think Bushido Way was around there too. So you guys, um, I don't remember what the score looked like at the end of the qualification phase. Did you win pretty comfortably, or was did you guys have a close contest? We uh, had we had a tracker, and we would do at that point. We were so exhausted, we were just trying to do as little as we needed to uh-huh. and we had averages of all the outfits in competition with us and we had projections so it wasn't because i mean we're talking i myself and i am not even top 10 in recursions playtime did 90 hours a week so uh there are some people that really threw themselves at this and hours. so that that's like three yeah, and a half I mean, days played there's, literally there's half the more, week yeah, half the week. Yeah. And there was more people with more than that. There were people who lived this life, lived to win. And we didn't want to make them do any capping besides what they needed to to get gold. So 
we ended with about a hundred thousand all in that's terms of nuts. two weeks, both weeks put together. Yeah. Well, that's a lot of time playing planet side. I imagine that by the end of that, um, there were a lot of people who were ready to be done with the game for a while. Absolutely. Unfortunately. So. <laughs> and I feel bad for the poor officers for you guys. Um, I saw this in Bushida way where, um, the regulars got to take a, a couple days break after qualification ended, but you guys, you got to, you know, go into your command tents and figure out how we're going to win this match. How did you guys prepare yeah. for the outfit war after the qualification ended? We uh, had a lot of strategy meetings. Uh, we had, we, we grabbed all the metrics we could, participation metrics, like uh, performance metrics. We uh, Very numbers went driven. to decimate. Well, I think when you're you get to a certain size, and it's like you can't even really look at things from an individual perspective. You got to kind of look at it from that that top end. If anything is just more efficient. So anyway, uh, you know what, Sale? We, we there's a lot of people talking right now about the burnout factor. I think we need to give that a little more time before we move on because it's super important. Um, and we'll we'll come back to that absolutely. And excuse me for interrupting you. Um, so three days played in a week is obviously too much planet side. Um, the attitude I saw with a lot of people is this has got to change the qualification phase. People can't be expected to wake up and play Planetside for 12 hours a day in order to be relevant and be in the outfit for. Um, what do you guys see as a good direction to take qualification next time around? What are you hoping to well, see change? Be careful. I mean, desolation may not be for us. I mean, the difference between best practices and qualification, i.e. having a great 48 and best practices for getting to qualification, uh, I'm sorry, to getting to desolation through qualification, i.e. as many people as you can possibly get to cap those bases is a huge, huge thing. I mean, SKL, like 3,000 members, it's like, you know, that's a big stick for qualification so mm -hmm. uh and like i said it's from both ends like this may be dbg's way of of giving an end game to outfits that train create and support new players and so i believe that you know while we could say this would work best for us we need to also imagine that this might actually be for you know, the Zerg fits, which is a little sad. And, and like I said, we're, we've already taken the pejorative off that word, right? When I say Zerg fits, I mean outfits which have more than 48 people, mm -hmm. which could include recursion at some days. That's right. You guys dabble in Zerg fitting. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> that's well, a, you're goddamn that's right a, we do. <laughs> you brought up a really interesting distinction. It's, a, it's an assumption that I was making that we could, we could unpack a little bit. Uh, who is Outfit Wars for, right? We're seeing qualification being dominated uh, just by default by the ones that have the most bodies to throw. But we're seeing the contest itself being uh, most well-rewarding of people who have the tightest 48, I think. Um, so I don't know if we've seen any strong communication from, from Daybreak. Um, excuse me. Listen to me. Daybreak. Uh, from Rogue Planet about what they expect from outfits in terms of size. One thing I think I heard from Rel is he did say that he was hoping that this contest would help break up 
some of the larger Zerg fits into smaller, more right-sized things. Um, we're all biased, obviously. But with that in account, um, I mean, biased towards the outfit experience we have and that we like, doesn't it make sense to have Outfit Wars qualification be oriented around outfits that are a similar size that could realistically approach the Outfit Wars match itself? Right. So like a weight class system. Right. Where you'd have, you know, the bigger outfits fight the bigger outfits, the small outfits fight the small outfits, and the midfits fight the mid. I think that's an, a good idea for an approach. Rather, if it's going to be effective on live, that's yet to be seen. You know, currently, it's every man for himself. You know, it's every outfit mixed in with each other. Yeah. You get the big outfits, you get the midfits, and you get the, the elite fits. And those are all, you know, thrown together in a mix. And, you know, what an elite fit might consider, you know, sound play style or a Zerg fit might consider as, you know, a sound play style may not be what their opponent considers, you know, best practices. And it causes, you know, causes some some disparity in the matches where, like, uh, you know, outfits that <clears throat> generally don't think like, you know, the combined arms initiative where it's, you know, vehicles, air and infantry working together may not be prepared for desolation because you know of how the map is laid out how things are done structured and so it creates disparity between the zerg fits the midfits and the uh the elite balls or the elite uh fits and that doesn't you know i think a weight class system would be a good idea but without practice metrics without or not practice metrics without um you know beta metrics or anything like that there'd be no way to really tell if it'd be a good idea and it feels like you know we're already kind of past that that stage where we can you know backpedal and say you know we're going to do a weight class instead or you know anything like that i don't i'm not even sure how they would you know how could you possibly classify you know an outfit now, uh, i think there's one thing that needs to be mentioned and that's just the fact that there seems to be kind of a, a culture in the game around thriving against asymmetrical odds. You know, have more of the enemy than there are you equals a fun time. And I think a lot of people strive for that. And only then, if they're not getting, you know, the, that numerical disparity where they could still, you know, win against numerically superior mm -hmm. odds, sometimes people feel dissatisfied, you know, and, and, one particularly toxic behavior I find that just repeats in the community is like first instinct is you know to, to basically pull the enemy down, right? If you lose with the over pop or even pop or whatever pop, you know the first thing obviously is is just a oh, why you know why is what they're doing cheesy or whatever, and it's hard to kind of orient players towards just trying to actually solve the the issue with with the gameplay mechanics at their disposal you know, and part of that is also like just i think there's some like toxic unfun gameplay interactions which we can we can go over if you'd like um by and large i think a big part of it you know nowadays you know the interactions between say like air and infantry is a lot less uh toxic than it used to be how has that changed was that in your perspective in your perspective <laughs> Uh, just whenever I hear one of the newer players complain about air to ground now, uh, I just tell them about how I remember, uh, Zephyr 
being able to level like your entire squad with a single shot because it had like a six meteor blast radius, I think, or something larger. It's just ridiculous. One hit radius, by the way. So like a stray, a stray shot from a Zephyr back in the day would ruin not just your own, but your entire squad's day. You're, you're just sitting in the building. <laughs> Sounds fun. So Sounds fun. Yeah, you know, that is like just the fact that stuff like that. And that's changed. Yeah, it's changed a lot. I think there's still a little bit of fine tuning, but in general, it's it's nowhere near the ridiculous state of <laughs> imbalance that it was at before. Um, to anyway. to drive your back to your point, uh, one thing to think about is that on desolation on test, there is additional hexes. Whether those are new warp gates or additional scalable content, I believe that. Uh, Daybreak is, or Rogue Planet Games, is looking at ways to where Desolation can serve multiple, you know, quote-unquote levels of outfits. Hmm. And the other thing to consider is people seem to think that a continent doesn't have a, a limit, but I believe that the continental pop limit is 334 per faction. So if you looked at live, a continent of live is 334 versus 334 versus 334, well, how much of that is an outfit war? Well, if you're the biggest outfit in the game, 82% of that continent rides for your outfit. You know, so you're almost playing Desolation from a, from the live perspective. So obviously, I think like now you're looking at too big, right? Where it's like there's some outfits that are so big, they're playing Desolation on live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, I think there's going to be a logical scale both ways, where an outfit's going to be too large, and the the breakup thing doesn't make a lot of sense to me though, because if there's only three slots in Desolation, only the three most aggressive strategies will get there. Mm-hmm. So if I'm in a big outfit, that's an aggressive strategy. We have three thousand players. As long as I can make positive that I'm on that forty eight it's good to have all those players. So I don't see how the mechanics as presented would schism ultra-large outfits into splitting, thinking that they could get one of those slots from their, say, parent outfit. Mm-hmm. A point I'm seeing being made in the chat by Madman from Bushido Way, shout out, is that it might take three or four seasons for players to start realize that within their 2,000-man outfit, they're not going to get picked to be in the outfit war. And their best chance at it is to try somewhere else what do you think of that idea yeah i think you know the idea that just you'll have as disenfranchised pointed out earlier just these new upstart communities and outfits you know providing competition for recruitment with a lot of these zergfits who for the you know the couple of years prior were kind of the only uh just open and actively advertising outfits on their respective servers really like, uh, you know, the competition provided by a lot of the new upstart outfits and communities, I think, go some ways towards kind of pulling members out of the 2,000-man outfits and maybe creating, as you put it, you know, better planet side. I could definitely see that. I think, I think the, there needs to be a little bit more push on the individual level for either, like, leaders of outfits or officers in outfits to actually, you know, teach the newer players and, and integrate them fully into their respective outfit. Like, I don't even know what that would entail, but mm-hmm. I think it's a, mm-hmm. the next piece that ought to move, actually getting these people to, to go out and be looking for members. 
How have you guys changed the way that you approach recruitment uh, from the Outfit Wars, or is it more or less the same for you guys? We went straight to Outback Steakhouse to find every Australian we could. (laughs) 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 We're in a unique position, I think, and just we've been around for so long that, you know, we're not at all particularly strained for numbers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just what it was a non-issue for us really we didn't change much from you know just see the pressures yeah you guys were already a, you guys were a good size to compete in the outfit war match itself and mm-hmm. as you said based on your numerical analysis um qualification was going to be okay for you guys at some level so I, that makes sense um i wonder if so qualification um this is a bit of really incredible and surprisingly philosophical discussion about qualification, about who are the outfit wars for and what does qualification tell us about that? Um, I've been kind of waiting to see RPG say something about qualification for the next outfit war. I don't think we've seen any communication or indication of changes. Have I, am I wrong there? Have you guys seen anything? No, not really. Not not since not since the outfit war actually ended itself. Do you expect to see it's... a change? How are you guys feeling? Yes, yes. I think that they saw the problems. I'm not sure the like remember, they didn't call this season one. They saw this like preseason alpha or something. Alpha one, like, I think. They disclaimed it yeah, they disclaimed it well. Like we can't hold them completely accountable for this. Uh, and, and yes, they're changing it and they did change it in the middle of a season. So to think that they're not going to change it between seasons is, is crazy, right? Like, yeah, I think, I think that definitely they're going to, you know, they wanted what they wanted more than anything was how this would play, play out on the live servers. And I think they definitely got their metrics and they're still going over all that before setting anything into stone. Right. They're to make the right communication than to make the quick one. Exactly. I appreciate that. Well, I'll be watching out for that. I'm very curious to see uh, what lessons RPG feels were learned and uh, what the next nudge in the right direction will be from them. Maybe we can go ahead and start talking about the actual outfit war itself. So, Sale, earlier I interrupted you when you were starting to talk about how you guys got prepared to fight the big battle. I wonder if you could pick up from where you left off and talking about uh, the command tent experience. Well, uh, so obviously the way qualification went was not the same sort of comms and structure that you would implement into a desolation. And like you said, you had like four days. It was like it ended on a Monday night and started on a on a Saturday. So, you, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, I'm, I'm not counting is my strong suit, but however many amount of days we had to prep. And so, uh, you know, we know that Infantry was our strong suit, and we better get into the airplanes and, and learn. And so we started doing some some air training, uh, doing all the meetings to try and figure out. Because, you know, like he said, we have more than 48. So there's going to be some people on the bench. And so we got to figure out how we're going to do that, what's fair, you know, what would the community accept. Um, so it was kind of like you said, it was like, okay, you just sprinted. Now go run down to the store and it's like (laughs) that's a tough one so it it was a struggle but i feel like we did enough work to to try and make it a good stream yeah personnel selection um how did you guys go about that was it just 
one person kind of making individual merit decisions and kind of deciding what they wanted their platoon to look like in the outfit war. How did you go about that? Well, there's corruption and bribery. <laughs> uh, Favors. How much they could pay us to get. Yes, yes. No, uh, we, like I said, we took this spreadsheet and we put, we took like their participation, how many bases they captured, how long did they play in these two weeks? And we put another one, you know, what's their stats? How good are they? Then we had a qual- qualitative, like what does the squad leaders think of this individual? And then the fourth one was like the team. And so, um, you know, we had a positional thing, you know, I, I linked that to you uh, mm-hmm, earlier mm-hmm. and we tried to find the best players for those positions. And based on that spread, you know, like, participation wasn't the alpha and omega but it was a factor mm-hmm. you know what the squad leader thinks was a factor your stats were a factor mm-hmm. and so we just tried to make that uh three factor bullseye you know for the team and i think uh generally speaking people accepted it uh we also had some things where you know we had some things we wanted some gameplay changes like we wanted the heavies to run lock-ons and so we would force our heavies on live to get used to Mm lock-ons and so we would do a lock-on check it'd be like lock-on check and all the heavies would pull out like decimators and those heavies (laughs) would get marks oh no you didn't do it is your shirt tucked in the pilot they got to the they got the pilot to the head is what they That's hilarious. So I'm showing the actual roster that you sent over to me, Sale, here um, on the stream now. It's got a breakdown of, uh, I see Infantry Squad 1, Therum, Infantry Squad 2, Welder, Flax, Air, Armor, and just some breakdowns about uh, class composition here. So this was what you guys arrived at for your roster. That's correct. Um, One of the things that you said a few moments ago was um, getting your guys in the air. It sounds like you anticipated the strength of air in this contest. Of course, air is uh, probably the the most. It's the biggest factor. I mean, you watch any lane smash. Great infantry play is rarely enough. So, talk up to uh, me a little bit about what it is that makes air so strong in this format, to your mind. Uh, okay, that's a great question. Well, uh, first of all, it's mobility combined with the factors of the game. So, for instance, on live, you get a certain amount of nanites in a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. But in Desolation, you have 75,000 nanites, which means you could pull like 148 reavers side to side, back to back. Mm. So so that's going to make air even stronger. You can also modulate it. Air is usually very modular, where air to ground is going to be really good at ground, but it's going to struggle against air. Well, now you can modulate very quickly for very little cost because if like they have a lot of tanks, you know, you're going to be able to, you know, put hornets on or whatever you need to do uh, to, to kind of counter that, that uh, strategy coming up against you. So between the mobility and the strength of it and the fact that it's even stronger than it would be in say a lane smash, you know, we were well prepared, you know, that we're going to have to deal with air. I think, one thing as well that often gets overlooked with air and it's really fundamental is just the fact that whereas you know your typical ground forces are constricted by terrain air being you know volumetrically can you can have say 50 ESFs all targeting the same tank or infantry you know or doorway what have you and you know the inverse I'm sorry not the inverse but 
you know, in order to have 50 ground units all targeting right. the same thing, you need like a very specific set of circumstances. And so air scales really well with just achieving localized numerical superiority and couple that with the fact that air is the fastest moving units and you know, they're, they still have decent firepower. And in and any saying such as this, you know, air is going to be a pretty big factor. You know, on live, it's a pretty big factor. It's just... Absolutely. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, thanks for that explanation. Um, one of the things that I noticed, too, um, saw comments about on the day leading up to uh, the Emerald and Connery contest. Uh, we got a chance to see the Soltech contest a, lot, a good chunk of time before and then the European servers, and then finally uh, we kind of marched uh, march west, right, um, in terms of uh, time zones and when the contests were happening. And I think a lot of folks were studying those early contests to see what the lessons learned would be. Is that something that you guys did as well? Uh, yeah, you know, we saw the Emerald match specifically, and we saw what uh, Attack Driver did, uh, GSLD. Uh, so... You know, we're going to go over this in more detail, but he, he found a way using an orbital to create distance between the neutral relics to give him an advantage. And he had an exceptional opener against B-Way, which they were able to overcome. But it was still, uh, when we saw that, where we thought, you know, we got to implement that immediately. Could you break that down a little bit? Sure. Okay, so uh, they're neutral bases. So let's say that you're you're getting relic A and they're getting relic F. Well, if I start capturing relic F before they capture relic A, I could then steal relic A with whatever time difference is between these two things. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Maybe I haven't explained that well. but I'm showing the map use, on the screen, by the way. You can use that. Use, off of. Sure. So so in, in the screen's case, uh, if... Uh, you can see we have an advantage in the timer. So if you have an advantage in timer, you can send all of your guys to steal the uh, relic, which is not quite capped for, for your enemies because your base will capture, give you lattice to their relic when they had no chance to get uh, lattice to yours. Mm -hmm. And you can steal that. And you saw them do that in the Emerald match. And you'll see us do the same for uh, the Connery gold match. Mm -hmm. And what, what was so interesting about what they did there to create that distance, he used an orbital. So he, ba I mean, I would imagine that would be really confusing. Imagine you're rushing to the base and in the first five seconds, someone uses a precious orbital resource and you're looking at that and thinking, why, what a waste, what a new, is that a misclick? right? Like, <laughs> yeah, is that a misclick? But it was genius because what it did was they couldn't approach their own relic. And that creates distance in the timer. Mm -hmm. And once the distance in the timer was established, they could then work on the steel. It's a snowball so I was type very, effect. Yes. And so I was, I was very uh, pleased to see that from the Emerald match. Right. So I was playing on live, watching the Emerald match as it was happening. And, um, you know, helping out the B-Way guys. And coming up from the purple perspective opposing GSLD, who were playing blue for Emerald, watching that happen and seeing the whole map light up blue and watch the scores go the way they did, it was a very uh, tense and, and uh, a scary moment, I think, for me and the you know squad and a half of B-Way folks uh, who were uh, holding the torch on live. But uh, things changed there. So um, 
the strength of the orbital to create space. What else did you learn? Uh, can't I, I nothing off the top of my head in particular. Uh, you know the matches were we were pretty busy on our own. I mean, the question, if as far as I understand, is you're asking what we learned from their matches going into ours, right? Well, we learned that the opener is pretty important, and we learned you know that trick that we implemented immediately. But you know we had an hour till we had to play, so we were kind of focused more on getting our own team uh, matriculated into the strategy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very last-second changes are always the hardest ones to implement, right? Exactly. Okay. So besides uh, what you managed to kind of uh, glean from your intel, um, anything else that you want to add about the preparation for the actual contest? Uh, I guess, like what I mentioned earlier, you know, our overflow being on a different fact, like a couple days into queue waiting, we decided to just standardize that. And what ended up becoming was, you know, us helping. Um, this was prior to the, the reset. After the, the reset, they didn't even need our help at all. But prior to uh, the reset, we were actually mostly tagging up to help DPSO try and get the gold on VS on our server. Interesting. So you were using some of your, your, your players who weren't needed to get secure your placing in the on the NC side qualification to help DPSO succeed. Yeah, that's just due to you know history between the two outfits and cordial relations and whatnot. After the reset, though, um, they didn't even need our help. In part due to you know we weren't the only group, I guess, that was kind of rallying around uh, DPSO. And I think uh, with the outcome of the match, it's almost more important to talk about what DPSO did to prepare over what we did. What's your perspective on how they prepared? Um, so they had Fool led by Jump Rope Jim. And uh, I got to give those guys a lot of credit because basically what they did was they made a bunch of characters. They put in DPSO. They played and leveled those characters during the qualification period and were, I would say, just absolutely instrumental that second go around is when I really saw them ramp it up and just knock down cap after cap after cap, you know, into, into some crazy fights. And the occasional, you know, obviously, I think every outfit during this has had some bout of, of awful ghost cap. But, uh, you know, having the full squad, I think, was just instrumental both in the qualification and in the actual. So let's shout out to Fool. Uh, are they, uh, is Fool a Connery outfit? Yeah, Fool slash Gobs, led by uh, old Jump Rope Jim. So Fool folded into DPSO to help promote DPSO. You guys helped DPSO. What's DPSO doing to get all this support? I think just, you know, they're a long-standing outfit. They've been around since the Helios Connery merge and we've always had open doors. And, you know, for a lot of our respective communities, you know, DPSO has always had like an open door for our members when we might have been particularly inactive for a period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I'll play with DPSO, and uh, in in large part, it's it's that relationship there. I think that kind of pulled together this rally of a lot of different outfits closer to the match day. Like more outfits got involved, however, weren't too involved with the uh, qualification, so I can't really say much. Okay, I think it's also a cultural thing on Connery. You know, we try not to 
break each other down. We try to support outfits and uh, DPSOs in our wheelhouse. You know, they're about the same size ish, you know, certainly closer to, to what we do than, you know, virtually anyone. And so it's like, are we really going to focus on those small differences that people think matter? Or when we could be like, well, we're both playing planet side, you know, we're both larger outfits that are, that are dealing with all those same kind of problems together. And so, you know, people try to think that they're going to get some salt out of us over this and it's just not going to happen. It's very wholesome. It's very planet side. You know, um, I think that there's a temptation a lot of time to try to boil down planet side to, you know, one-on-one kind of decisions and contests and outcomes and you win, I lose that kind of thing. Um, it's really interesting to see the manif- all the different manifestations of this outfit wars, but the fact that you guys were able to jump in and support an ally um, who you, you normally fight against uh, uh, is very brotherly and very neat. I love seeing it. Um, I'm curious though. Uh, so you described yourselves jumping in fool jumping in um it sounds like there this is part of this this reshuffling is it your perspective that this is a part of a general reshuffling of the outfits like or or is this more uh, just like a temporary a arrangement temp- to arrange the best match i think partially temporary arrangement for arranging the the best match but i think more importantly like well not not so much importantly but closer to the, the truth of the matter i think is just it's hard to tell it's it's there's a lot of circumstances oh. that that led oh. to it um you know the fact that we had a squad at a time waiting in queue you know the fact that right you know full was around really you know how many outfits on a game server have come and gone you know over the course of however many years the game has been out and you know just the fact that i think there's sort of the tight-knit nature of of that community I'm not sure what you would call it. You know, this is a community of communities mm-hmm. is what led to like mm-hmm. it's a decision of wouldn't it be great to see fucking DPSO in gold? You know, they definitely deserve it for just kind of being the representation, I guess, of quality gameplay that is still accessible to, you know, a new player coming into the game. You know, it's not so rigid and exclusive that you know someone who's new to the game would be completely at a loss. But at the same time, it's not just what what you know. What would you call like just being in the same platoon but never communicating, never doing anything other than like just what you could make out in the immediate situation. You know, that's just your typical like Zerg. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. on live when there's like 96 people going down an empty lane. That's typically what that's that's like you know there's not really much communication there's no central common goal that people are working towards right. it's just kind of like yeah kind of a, but yeah, a just, low effort just kind of playing by inertia that kind of thing yeah which uh, and it's like isn't really great planet side yeah so first off shout out to slatter in the chat dpso leader i believe so talking a lot about dpso what's up uh glad to have you here sounds like you guys are doing something right um, I really like the Connery community you guys are talking about. I was originally a Connery player, but I've been playing more on Emerald lately. Um, so this is educational for me. In the vein of opposition research, um, we've talked about two sides of the Outfit Wars matchup. Um, I'm curious if you can give me your perspective on the third. 
the TR. Oh God, we don't. Uh, the we TR, don't pigs, dude. Like uh, the TR is ruled by now Emperor Tiger. Uh huh. Uh huh. Reign is indisputable, and really, we're living in a, a post-Tiger coronation society on Connery. <laughs> there are things we can't talk about on this stream, <laughs> lest you incur the wrath of the Iron Hand. The the boars will come out and get you. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, how fascinating that phenomenon is. Uh, and uh, TR took all, all three levels of the contest for Connery as well. Wow. That was very surprising. And I think the, the thing with the Space Pigs getting it, you know, historically, Connery's TR outfits, you know, kind of went towards being like smaller than recursion, but larger than like your typical like NC or VS midfits, right? And there there would be... For the longest time, I would say Connery had the Connery TR had the healthiest alpha culture of the, the three factions. I think recently it's kind of you know decayed a bit. Um, it's actually some interesting points to be made about like how gameplay has kind of influenced with regards to how just TR in an outfit setting plays out. But um, I think just the space pigs having such a large population of players just made them. Uh, an easy first for the qualification. And then you have like CIK and Hammered, mm -hmm. who, yes, I think CIK is probably on the larger end of the uh, paradigm that I just described for TR. You know, it's like uh, open recruitment outfits that still have some standard of quality for, for gameplay. And you have like Hammered and Space Pigs are kind of unique in their composition, you know, just centered around a, a type of cult of personality with hammered it would be the arch craig and obviously space pigs is centered like all things around the all-powerful emperor tiger the self the self-described are... big fat pig <laughs> they all used in-game cops even for oh, desolation which is an interesting <laughs> i mean that's the <laughs> thing about the tiger is like you think that you think that what he's doing is simple or barbaric, and then you lose. Uh, <laughs> don't underestimate the tiger. What were you guys expecting to see from from those guys heading into the actual match before the I benefit think, of hindsight? Well, like you know, there's some obvious things to to bring up when you compare outfits like this, right? Like, um, so you know, obviously with with space pigs, there's not as many top tier shooters. You know, it's it being what it is, you know, it's, they kind of have just a widespread of, of everything. So it's, it's kind of un unpredictable. Um, I regard like what they ended up having was, you know, a couple Banshee Mossies. Like, I think we expect like one of the, the things that we were ready to fight against was if they just pulled a bunch of MBTs and Prowlers mm -hmm. and whatnot because mm -hmm. that's just a, a common space pigs thing online armor column rollout but, uh, yeah and so like you know we had that in our plans but you know to their credit to their credit they didn't you know, they didn't really do anything that ham-fisted and ridiculous and i think that's that's kind of a testament i guess to just there being even a an objective or a sent you know a central agreed upon objective at all kind of creating just better gameplay is that you know now when we went up to go fight against the uh, the space pigs in desolation. We actually could expect them to be 
pushing for the point more often than not, whereas on live, it really is just a toss-up of what the hell is going to be in this 48 to 96 I'm spawning. <laughs> sounds, like, um, sounds like they were a bit of a wild card. Oh, you could say that. Okay. So is it time to talk about the match itself? I think we finally arrived at that moment. So sure. set the stage for me, gents. It's okay. 8 o'clock p.m. on the West Coast. The Connery gold match is beginning. It's recursion versus DPSO versus Lord Tiger's Space Pigs. We went over the roster a little bit, um, but I'm going to turn it over to one of y'all to talk me through the experience. Okay, so uh, you got a lot of time to prep, and that was something... There's a, there's a bunch of things you learn immediately from touching Desolation, and that's how much different the game is when you have a silo at the warp gate um, in terms of everything. Like I said, uh, when I saw 75,000 Cordium, I said, this is ridiculous. We can like spam galaxies and, and never have to get any ants. Is, is Rel building any RTS here is, or is this just <laughs> the first pass? But when you add the fact that an infantryman can pull out something from a silo say like a, a silo itself for 2000, if I recall, then pull a reaver, you now have like 2,450 cordium in the first unit pulled. Uh, now we had a few guys that were so bad at flying, they kept crashing their reavers. We had like five reavers crash. That, so that was I would have been the one of first, those guys. like, <laughs> it was really bad. Okay. It was bad. So so our loadout consisted of two infantry squads, which all had ESFs. And that's going to be really important. You know, we talked about the importance of the opener. Um, and so we want our opener to be as strong and fast as possible. So galaxies, too slow. We need those reavers. So all the infantry were in reavers. Uh, you know, you saw the, the flex squad were players who can infantry, air, or armor to a... Uh, general degree right they're they're general they're generalists that are good at some or all of those things mm -hmm. and so they would be there to help us flex into what the enemy will have well we know that in any opener the enemy is going to have a lot of air so all of the flex people were put into there's two sky guards and the rest were basically esfs because we're now using the flex to gimmick towards what the enemy is going to present, mm -hmm. which we knew was an overwhelming amount of ESFs. We had a small air squad of air specialists and a, uh, a small armor squad uh, as well. Right now on the stream, and we're so, showing uh, Sir Serial Box's POV, and he's in a sky guard right now, right at the start of the match. Right. So uh, we're going to go through that. Uh, so you see the, uh, you're, you're seeing what, what loadout I just described. And so uh, the object of the two light assaults were to gain that timer as fast as possible. Everyone else was to immediately forward themselves to the next base. And uh, Therum squad was sent to point F. Uh, Welder squad was sent to point H. Mm -hmm. And uh, they all, uh, Welder squad in particular had a, uh, a loadout for each individual infantryman, which had a construction asset, which they were to land and drop as fast as they can. And we actually went on desolation to practice this opener and, and you'll see it come into play with the, when the AI turret went alive, I, I think that's something you're going to show as well. Mm -hmm. um, the other teams had a, a lot of air and, and more importantly, that air was mostly pointed at us. 
And so while the air um, was able to do their best, they were outnumbered by three to four to one. And so our aircraft were really struggling here. But none, even with not having air dominance, our small armor squad was still able to uh, keep the aircraft from air to grounding them to death. Mm -hmm. We actually had a, a huge problem here in that one of our squad leader for the armor squad DC'd. Oh, no. and, uh, and we were unable to talk to the vehicles but more importantly we didn't know that this happened until a recursion who was watching the stream told us and so a lot of times we were trying to direct the the vehicles and and unable to do that and and our takeaway from that is just how brutal it is to go from a qualification loadout to a desolation loadout in four days you know we had no time to practice the comms and to see a catastrophic failure mm -hmm. the second thing that happened uh, was that our air terminal on the uh, west side stopped working. And so uh, a lot of working, the people... Like it bugged out? Yeah, it bugged oh. out. So a lot of the people were like, we're, we're out of Cordium. So we, we send a bunch of the Flex players to go farm Cordium only to see if the <laughs> silo is like mostly full. Oh, what is going on? And, and trying to troubleshoot this until we figure out, just use the other terminal. So, uh, you know, that was a huge problem. Understand too, this is a short match. 500 right. points and rushes up on you. And you yeah. can't map pull. You can't map pull with that terminal being... So our pilots would have to spawn in and physically run to the next air terminal to pull their airplanes. God. <laughs> so uh, imagine that the air was a huge catastrophe for us. Uh, nonetheless, our armor, while unable to be told what to do, were pretty much unbreakable in the middle. And, you know, there's a there's a big meme going around where Megatron ran over some infantry. But the reality of that situation, if you actually watch the entirety of the clip, she's quickly removed by armor and the people are res. So, you know, that really wasn't, you know, their their armor projection really wasn't the problem. It was the air and our inability to merge the air our armor which was the only thing we had and our anti-air with the infantry and of course uh both teams having a majority uh, of their population you know next to our warp gates when we would pressure one the other would come and hit us from the back and um you know they they have a, there's a connery strategy you know those that live through the uh, uh let's call it asian uh, invasion <laughs> You know, when <laughs> there was a strategy that the, the Asians do a lot where they they just double team one team until like 30 minutes before the the, the alert is over, because that team having five percent can no longer do enough to win. Right. Mm. And so I believe that that Slatter employed a cynical but very Connery strategy where both teams wanted to try and make it impossible for us to have any chance of winning hmm. and by doing that they would then play amongst themselves and so you know why you know that's not my favorite thing you know it's definitely connery and uh so we suffered huh? i think it's pretty clear uh that that was part of it but then again you know the outcome wasn't what anyone expected i would have i would think <laughs> so you go into this expecting to be double teamed sounds like you did 
We did. And, and not only that, our strategy, you know, as that opener shows you, I mean, we stole a base from the Lord Tiger mm-hmm. and his wrath would be upon us, you know, thereafter. So, uh, you know, we almost invited the double team as well. Um, and the reason that was is because, you know, our expectation was that we could, we could probably, because of the, the, how close the middle bases are, say from G to H, you're going to be able to, with an armor squad, because armor is very slow. It's the slowest form of travel, right? Because, you know, infantry can be an airplane. So we wanted to, you know, create that middle where we're balled up, you know, getting double team because mm-hmm. we, we expected it would happen anyway. So why not, you know, lean into it? And and that was our strategy. Position. You wanted to be balled up in the middle where exactly. you're not getting hit on your back line, but right up against where you want them. And we had construction assets up. We had armor that stayed there the entire time, despite mm-hmm. being told to help go <laughs> secure other things um, <laughs> because they couldn't hear us. And we oh, didn't man. know that. So, uh, you know, and this, like you said, it's 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So by the by minute 12, all this was figured out. And, and once the double team let us breathe a little bit, you saw that we were taking four bases. Had that match lasted 10 more minutes, you know, we might have been able to, to do some some real work there. But uh, what was surprising was the IVI strength of, of Fool and Jump Rope Jim on, on Relic H. Like, I don't think, you know, they, they really know what would have happened. I mean, we had F, we had G, we had A, we had B. Had we gotten H, had we just grabbed it, we would have, with construction, an armor ball that was not moved the entire map, stayed in those two, uh, in those two relics probably the whole time. Instead... You know, DPSOs, the the team that they produced, kept us off our toes, kept the pressure, and Tiger was just backstabbing us every time he could, which is his royal prerogative. <laughs> it's peak planet side, man. Disconnect, miscommunication, teaming. <laughs> so this thing bad can happen. This is a disaster. This, this kind of pulls back to the whole idea, like the whole in, intrinsicness of the three-sided format to planet side. Um, is there a part of you guys that wishes this was a one-on-one or are you happy with the three-sided thing? There's I lots think... of people that, that do, but one thing I'd say is that there's ways to make the point system try and rein that in. Like, let's say only the player with the most bases gets points. And so let's say Tiger has five bases, getting three points per second. Well, DPSO wants base capture so they'll put pressure on him like there's gameplay ways where they can make this not a thing go yeah ahead, i think ahead. the three faction setup is uh with regards to it being a one-on-one and i think that would actually be like i almost feel like it, it would probably be kind of lame just because it's like you know politics would dictate the match of you know whichever team can stack harder mm-hmm. it's basically going to win whereas if it's a three-team match i think there's some room for, you know, a side that has less capable infantry or air or armor to try and, and leverage some strength that they might have or find some way to, to claw out a victory. And it keeps the game from being reduced to just whoever can optimize for, you know, most firepower with least damage received, where at that point it's like, just stack your team with the most capable people, etc. And that's kind of a boring game to play to be quite honest yeah it's not planet side um 
And when I, I've said that word a few times, I think we all know what it means, but maybe it bears elaborating on. Um, ever since the beginning of Planetside, I started back in the beta for Planetside 1 many, many years ago. Ever since it started, that three-faction mechanic has always been important. It's always important that whenever you're engaging an enemy at a base, there's a possibility that you're going to get you're going to get reamed from the side by the other faction. Um, there's going to be fights going on at, adja at adjacent lanes that are going to pull people off the fight, um, or fights are going to end that are going to result in a, a flood of players to one side or the other. Um, Planet Side is not a fair game. Would you guys agree with that? Absolutely. And you're okay that's with what that. Makes it, that's oh, what yeah. makes it endlessly novel. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Fighting asymmetrically, you know, how do you, you know, let's say you're a 12-man squad, how do you, how do you fight against the 48 to 96 pigs that are about to encroach on your position? You know, Maybe you know it's, it's a lot of fun. Like the talking about the presence of point holding meta of just packing even, a squad. Not or... even necessarily, not even necessarily the point hold meta. How Battle can meta. you? Yeah, how can you? How can you battle them like like on the same level that they're presenting? You know, how can you bring the force of ninety six plus without actually having ninety six plus people? I think that factors into a lot of how live continent play plays. Is you know, some people like some people like the numbers. Some people like the the point holding. Some people Fighting like the numbers. gal drops, the valks. You know, other people's like to fight all of that, and it may not be fair. It may not be balanced, but it, it sure, it really is fun just <laughs> knowing that at the end of the day, you're probably going to lose this fight, but I'm going to make it as bloody as possible. <laughs> yeah, just trying to, yeah, it's just, you know, just the few against the many and all that, those fixtures just make for a very fun experience, I think, in situations. And I think there, there is a flip side to that, you know, Players that are going up against, like if they have three to one and they're still losing, it's like at that point, you know, there, there's some degree of get good, but I think there's also some level of like, you know, if you just have a bunch of veterans on one side and everyone else on your side is a new player, you know, then obviously like ain't gonna be too great. But mm -hmm. something to be said about uh, what would you, you know, what would you call like skill stacking? I I don't know what you would uh disparity between the factions. Yeah, the, it's the, like, you know, if every veteran was on, let's like, you know, TR, no one, you know, no one of veterancy was playing on T NC or VS, mm -hmm. you know, there's going to be a disparity of skill between that faction and the rest of the server. Which might outweigh, you know, the disparity in numbers that might exist. In fact, yeah. almost certainly will, just because I think people kind of, especially veterans, really underplay how confusing this game is at, at the start for a lot of new players. Um, I still find it confusing. I, still, I played it for a thousand hours. <laughs> I don't know what my excuse is, but I um yeah, it's like I, I'm like a like for me, like the whole vehicle game is completely bewildering. Construction is a mystery. I put a thousand hours into playing basically infantry side, and I'm I'm kind of like a barely competent like two KD light assault. That's like what I do. Light assault's my thing. Um, but well, we, you um, mentioned we had KD lot of players. Then. We had a lot of players who this was the first time they've dropped construction. Like trying to tell, like you know, one of the best players in the game how to drop construction because they've never done it. Time to construct some pylons, baby. Yeah, like they just they didn't understand where do I pull this from. Like the questions you get 
from like a player that's like a uh, famous or quote unquote is it was incredible the ignorance the, when, I, when i was practicing my opener we had we had two or three people like how do i place it like what do you mean how do you place it down i guess one thing you mentioned there just bringing you know defining yourself as a 2kdy assault right it's like by definition there's got to be some people out there that you know are under a 1kd right. so you can get that 2kd right. and yeah i think one of the, that's just one thing in particular like kdr and the fixation on kdr which is probably an old can of worms but mm-hmm. you know just i think there's entirely too much uh fixation on that number in particular even still yeah it's, it's a very easy of, number to look at and uh yeah the the idea of like the the 2kd or 2.5kd heavy is kind of a meme at this point because it's been that number's been wrung so so dry over the years, I feel like. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how you tell who's right and wrong on Reddit. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> but that's a that's why I like having conversations at this level. We get to go places that other formats might not get to. Um, this conversation has ranged up and down and broadly, and we're not done yet. Um, so, um, but Planetside is a huge game. It's a deep and wide sandbox, and it really deserves detailed discussion like this. Um, I'll be honest. like I knew you guys were kind of nerdy, but I had no idea the level of analysis and statistics you were going to bring in. It's kind of remarkable, and I mean that in a positive way. What, what, what's your KD? You just... <laughs> <laughs> Can you uh, meet me on Jaeger real quick? We'll talk about this. <laughs> we appreciate the compliment. Jaeger. We appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Well, I'm glad because it's it's given earnestly. Um, so, uh, okay, let's figure out where to move this discussion next. Uh, Outfit Wars, we talked about the lead up to it, the qualification. We talked about... Um, the match itself, some of the fun politics, the nature of planet side. Maybe the next thing to go to is takeaways. Um, uh, so very simply, did you guys think that Outfit Wars was successful? Absolutely. I think that the community, uh, I mean, has adapted. Lots of outfits merged or did some action. You know, lots of people got involved. Tons of people watched. Like we finally have a direction we can all go to, you know, whether it be my outfit or the pigs or, or, you know, SKL, like we're all marching towards something. And instead of it being pure sandbox, you know, like maybe, maybe you got to learn how to fly now because maybe you got to learn how to put a construction thing down. I mean, that's what our guys had to learn. So uh, I believe that this is a huge thing for the game I think that the match we put on was interesting. It was surprising. Um, you know, I, I didn't much care for the Cobalt match. It, it was just sort of like they were stomping their enemy so badly. One, right? Yeah, and, and the enemy got so demoralized that they would just fight each other for the, like, five minutes of fun or whatever. Uh, you know, that's my analysis. And Why so, by I think that's something that happens on live from time to time if one faction is too heavily stacked. And, and the mix... It just makes the game rather uninteresting, I think. It's not, I don't. I don't think it's enjoyable from anyone's point of view. I mean, sure, it might have been fun for that, but imagine if you just kept doing that. I know after the fifth or sixth. Like, I mean, it's not. Doesn't sound fun to me in the first place. But you know, for some people, you know, being able to completely and totally destroy your opponent that might sound fun 
you know, once or twice. Farming. After the third or fourth time, you know, it, it gets stale. Like, it's boring. It's like, do you really want to continue to kick sand in a child's face on the beach? Or do you want to, like, I don't know, surf or play some volleyball? Like, if you go to the beach just to kick sand in people's eyes, like, after a while, it's not going to be fun. People aren't going to like you. But that's my take on it. My personal take, you know, I don't, I don't think it was fun for, I don't think it'll be fun for anyone in that situation. If they keep doing it, you know, eventually no one's going to want to play on, on the cobalt one. So there has to be some, there has to be some counterbalance to that. Otherwise people just won't sign up. It'll just become a relic. Because obviously, you know, if you're that winning, goes, go ahead goes, there. That goes both ways as well, right? Like they need to create some incentive for you know, the players that were on the stack team to, actually span i you know i think this touches back on the point i made earlier like the next step i think is just figuring out the gap between like a veteran player and you know creating some value out of new players and you know maybe less capable players or what have you like bridging that gap i think would be really important just keep gameplay as a whole i think yeah the gameplay on its fundamental level is like to keep it interesting honestly yeah and the thing you need in a sandbox, any gameplay that is sandboxy is some kind of a goal, some kind of something to unify around. And if anything, it seems to me that Outfit Wars gives something very tangible and very agreed upon by everybody as something that's worth pursuing, which gives the rest of the experience you have in the game meaning. And it gives you something to strive for or bounce off of. And I, I think it's along the same avenue is the outfit resources right like providing a common goal for a bunch of people lets them structure their gameplay you know in a way that wouldn't be possible unless they all got together prior and this is how outfits before the implementation of these systems kind of function you know just purely as a social apparatus of people that like oh, we like doing you know this particular thing and you know that being like the sole common factor between all of them like just makes it difficult for growth of that community or even, you know, healthy community interaction between them and, you know, say another community where, you know, just the other community doesn't necessarily think the thing they're doing is a good idea. You know, just the fact that that's not so much a, a block anymore, I think is a big, big factor. Like, and it, um, I really appreciate the uh, emphasis that y'all are placing on the community ties not just within a, an outfit, but between outfits. I, I hope right. that Outfit Wars continues to do a good job in some way of encouraging that. Although it it's not what you might immediately think of right. to have you, folks ringing for friendly outfits to qualify. If, if I can interject. Go right ahead. It's not currently doing a good job. I think we got to, you know, there's work to be done there's, on that. Yeah. But it's doing a job, which prior to this, you know, there wasn't anything there. You know, there wasn't a, other than just the fact that, you know, just by understanding the gameplay mechanics, you can exclude people from playing the game, you know, restrict their agency, you know, and, and kind of coerce them towards playing like you, you know, through that, through that, like, there wasn't any way that you could just get people to play towards a common objective without a lot of pandering and politicking and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, something may not have been brought up a whole lot. The effect that the qualification has on the outfit's server culture and its communities that it occupy it, 
um, you know, something needs to be something, you know, that needs to be addressed or looked at would be, you know, an outfit may not believe that so-and-so belongs there because they got there through ghost capping or things they don't think, you know, are skilled play or anything like that. Whatever they believe is not skilled play, but, you know, the devs need to set, find a way to set, you know, a way for every outfit to acknowledge that this is the way you need to get there. And I think something I noticed during the first qualification was the level of toxicity inter- between, you know, inner outfit toxicity became, became ever increasing. Um, people were more tenacious around or, you know, they had more tension around each other. Outfits were less likely to respond to other bases to defend. So I think live play suffered in a way during the qualification period because, you know, what, what incentive does like let's say recursion have to go and defend so and so's base there's no incentive there's no reason to do it so as a whole what you oftentimes saw was outfits you know holding up yeah. attacking and then defending only their territory and it would it would leave some interesting shapes on the maps because <laughs> you'd see you would see where like a, a certain outfit held all their territory and allowed everything else to go. The RB recursion. And I think, yeah, ex- exactly. And, and that's something, you know, I think that, that that needs to be looked at. It needs to be addressed Press. because otherwise I see outfits turning on one another. And well, it's, frankly, not, it's not ahead. sustainable, I don't think. Yeah, it comes cutthroat. Like they need to realize, like right now it does a job of providing common context and the goal for outfits to actually structure around. What they need now is to align that with what's fun in the game, which is, you know, engaging in fights and, you know, battle and whatnot. Because right now, like, it doesn't do a very good job of that. You know, it incentivizes a lot of ghost And, you know, one thing to think about is just how ghost capping starts in the first place, right? Like, it's kind of interesting looking at, you know, as a player that's played since launch, right? I remember being in a public platoon and having somebody talking shit to me because I apparently didn't know how to ghost cap properly. And his words were <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> you know, back. You're doing it wrong, man. Back, wrong. Whoa, he was a lot more belligerent than that. He was very angry about my inability to ghost cap properly. But, um, you know, the, the reason why ghost caps happen is because nobody shows up to defend. Otherwise, like, you need to do the action which would eventually become a ghost cap in order to actually get fights started at times. That's just the nature of the map. But it's like, if no one shows up, well, you ghost capped. And it's like, it's become kind of a derogatory term just because, you know, there have been outfits historically that, you know, in order to try and achieve a cap, kind of avoid fighting, you know? And I think that's really one of the things is now that they have the structure to incentivize outfit behavior and all, incentivize those outfits to fight. You know, on more than just one occasion in desolation, like it should be fighting nonstop online. And that will see like the best gameplay. And if they can get it right, you know, just the best type of, I guess, community feedback you know, within these outfits. It's like we often, or I shouldn't say, you know, often, because relative to say something like wild cards or space pigs, you know, we don't t- have anywhere near as much new player intake, but often we'll grab a new player and try and show them the game. And you know, the moments I get them hooked, you know, several of them, by the way, are, are now ASPBR 100 over the, mm-hmm. <laughs> over the past mm-hmm. like year or two. And the thing that gets them hooked is just like the moment where 
you know, you can see the enemy and it's like, it's a bit of trading shots and all that. It's not complete shit show yet. Other than it just, you know, the two forces clash and it's just an absolute breakdown, you know, and it's like whoever had the best preset positions and the best, like most discipline in, in that type of shit show will prevail. And those are the moments like just time and time again, you know, as, as you would put it, just the most planet side moments that, you know, get people hooked on the game. And I think it's really when there's not enough of that and players in the, you know, spending an hour or two trying to create that situation via ghost capping all that. Those are the demoralizing moments where I think people get really disillusioned with the game. An interesting counterpoint. Some people talk about ELO and how they want, you know, ELO. It's not fair that they have to fight really veteran outfits sometimes. Well, if you are attacking a recursion base, recursion wants those points per second. And so we're going to defend it like lions. If you attack maybe one of our allies' bases, we probably won't really show up. And if we do, we'll show up with some like tepid response only to be fighting boredom. So it, it did create somewhat of a soft ELO system where if you wanted to take a base and you see the outfit tag on the base, you know that that outfit will respond disproportionately. Yeah, that's an yeah. interesting point, yeah. So that's something I really didn't think about. If you guys could suggest the qualifications you'd like to see for the next round of Outfit Wars or a future round of Outfit Wars, one that was tailored towards the kind of planet side that Recursion liked to play, let's say before even Outfit Wars came around, what do you think kinds of changes could you suggest? The, uh, you know, to bring it back to my original statement, you know, it's an MMO FPS and lots of MMOs require players to show up for two to three hours and kill a big dragon. It's called a raid, right? And um, I think that would be a good way to do this uh, for planet side to put, you know, like a three hour times frame, you know, a couple times a month for the qualification period. Now, I believe no amount of stats you know it, whatever stat he uses no how smart it is is always going to dumpster the gameplay because context is vitally important and he can do things like remove off-continent capping he could do things like remove off-hours uh, capping but it's never going to solve it in its entirety when you say and he, so you i mean rel oh yes it, it that's probably yeah the, let's the all, team let's all acknowledge rpg rel the most visible Lots right, of right, folks there. Right, I, I apologize for that. So, uh, their team, no matter what they do, are never going to hit the bullseye. And this is from an outfit with a lot of numbers. Uh, I mean, we could have done this ourselves, right? If we could like have made a recursion score where if you're playing well, capturing bases, putting yourself in challenging situations, here's your recursion score. Mm -hmm. You know, there there was no metric that that properly captured being good at planet side and so we have these bad ones like kd uh, getting off topic and back on the topic no matter no matter what he does it's not going to be a bullseye you know therefore limit limit the exposure you know make it a few hours serially maybe every day for a week but only like three hours so that there is no burnout and players can you know have a life and still play their game because a lot of us maybe seven years ago you know, we were college kids or we were people, you know, without jobs. But now we're seven years ahead in our career and we cannot live that life anymore. God bless. Respect. <laughs> From a observing perspective, um, I also think that the idea of having qualifications be focused into narrow chunks, like two to three hours, like you suggested, 
is uh, it's a lot easier to present um, with uh, two people who don't yet know Planet Side. Um, you could have some of the big streamers out there, and you guys know them. Uh, we showed uh, some of Commander Series' content, um, Archie, Winter Gaming, a lot of folks who casted these. Shout out to those hardworking guys. Could uh, help promote the community by actually streaming this qualification gameplay, where I don't really think there was much to show this time last time around in terms of showing off the game so i like that aspect right. of it a lot i think i think qualification brought out the ugly side of planet side and you know i think a three hour to four hour qualification period would you know you put it at the prime time of the server you you exemplify what planet side is right because you've got all these players playing and they're all trying to qualify I think that is what needs to happen, in my opinion. You know, that seems like the most logical step would be to do a qualifier of three or four hours at the prime time of the servers and just and just play. You know, it's it's not it's very hard to digest that you need to be up for nine hours late at night doing you know not planet side things, and it's just not it wasn't. It's not conducive to good gameplay, and it's not conducive for longevity of people doing it. Do you know how much we learned about Australia? <laughs> <laughs> like, seriously. Like, I, I mean, I learned a new language. I learned about Australian banter. I've gotten insults I don't even understand from our <laughs> friends over at Surge and, and those Australians. And then the people in the recursion now. It's a whole new world I need to learn about. Well, it, you know, slang, huh? when you've been, when you're on like hour seven and it's like five o'clock server, weird things, you know, start happening, <laughs> you know, you're on hour seven, you, you've encountered, you know, everything you think to expect. And then something, you know, even strange, even more strange and otherworldly happens in game. And you just, and somebody's talking to you about fosters. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they begin speaking the language of the tiger. Like. It just all falls apart. The toyga. The toyga. Okay, so I like the idea of qualification raids. Are points still the best way to win those raids, though? As in base captures? Well, or... Sale called out that there's no one number that you can ever really objectively say, you know, this is the best planet side. But in a way, the point system for qualification kind of is doing that. Is there you an alternative? You have to do something. No, well, the, I they, think... they got it. It's going to be ugly for, but if it's ugly for three hours, it's no problem. Sure. <laughs> it's all about the people, but... all, about, all about the human element. I respect that. I mean, if they just fix that, I think RPG would get a lot of pats on the back. I think um, it's one thing is like, you know, a lot of people always bring up, you know, playing the objective or whatever. It's, it's practically become a, a meme, right? Of people like, self-aggrandizing over being objective players or, or vice versa, you know, just self-aggrandizing over not being objective players. And really, I think a bit too much emphasis insofar as like the objective having meaning. It's like the objective is just a rule that everyone agrees to and you need it for something to fight over. And, you know, insofar as that might produce unfun elements, I think that's something that uh, RPG should look at. Like with the way qualification does it, I think, one thing to maybe look at is some incentive for defending and not just your own base, but, you know, a faction base. And, right. Because currently, you know, maybe having, if you're defending, you're wasting your time. Yeah. And so far as, as 
qualifications. Well, it depends on what faction, actually. Yeah, and that's where you get back to like the multi-faction thing. That's another dimension to this problem. Well, the game stratifies defenses by a reset capture followed by a flag being capped the other way. So say, you know, what does a defense mean? Well, if you're in a bio lab and A is taken, but only A, and you go flip it back, you then uh, get a defense. Now there was a SOE live tournament one where people, you did get captures for defenses and those, Mm -hmm. it was very exploited. So, uh, you know, I'd be very careful what you wish for here. Well, I would think like, you know, that's, I think that's, that's a given, right? Like you want to defend, you look at the map and press one of the little green buttons, but if you want to attack, you actually have to bring a spawn up and do a lot of prep work for it. And I think like just, they've incentivized attacking. Now they need to put similar incentive for defending. And I think like perhaps limiting the amount of points you could get for defending, you know, might be something valuable. Yeah. You know, maybe a cooldown once you start a defense summer. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what really they could do mechanically because, yeah. you know, there's limits to API and whatnot. Right. Something that would require that in the actual defending of allied territory that on the map looks useful, but that is not imminently exploitable, like you're calling out. <clears throat> so raids, two to four hours, some way to incentivize defense potentially that's not exploitable. Um, or even not so much go ahead no go ahead uh well i think it's it's not so much about incentivizing defense i think that's the most obvious way but like just promote that whatever you are doing right it would ideally involve capturing a point but in addition to that you are engaging the enemy right like find some way to limit ghost ghost caps and maybe adding something like you know uh, a point capture multiplies your previous however many points you were getting by just playing the game you know kills resupply whatever Mm -hmm. multiplies that Mm -hmm. by you know some value for getting the capture like something like that i think would would go a long way to just making sure that all of the uh the effort and whatnot goes towards the actual game and not towards subverting it through just avoiding fights and whatnot yeah it's a tough problem in a game that is defined by having so many options, so many counters, so many ways to play, the the big old sandbox of planet side, not an easy problem to tackle. Yeah. I think the fact that there's a variety of play styles, you know, is absolutely fine because and with just the way the mechanics work, it's like by knowing the mechanics, you know, you can just restrict other players' agency. Which, you know, insofar as capping a point's concerned, this is, you know, why kills matter right. in base captures right. and all that, is if you just out-aim them or out-compete them in infantry and you clap them, they're not going to be able to step on the point to cap it. It's pretty, pretty damn simple. And so, it's, you know, what comes beyond that is like, all right, well, now if they're beaten in the IVI game, right, well, maybe they'll live, you know, armor or air or... They'll figure out some way to up their infantry game. And you know, from that process I just described, you, know, you get some structure to gameplay. Like it's not, I think, complete chaos, though it can often feel like it in a given moment. I think like the, it really just starts with get people to fight. And it's like from there, they can kind of just let it run its course. 
you know, and it's and you also start seeing probably certain things being overpowered from that, you know, if they if they're just unstoppable compared to what their alternatives or counters might be. Sure. All good points. So what's next for recursion? Are y'all excited about the next season of Outfit Wars? We're playing space pigs. Absolutely. We uh <laughs> What was that you said there in those space pigs? Playing for them. Oh yeah? I mean they Tiger demands it. So the, everyone is the Toyga sucks you up, brought you into his army. UPSO is within the space pig. We're all but space pigs now. We were paraded around the space pigs HQ like some Roman <laughs> procession. <laughs> we no, we're not part of the army. We are the slaves. <laughs> the name Tiger is now analogous to Caesar. Caesar once was. I'm hoping. You know, that when uh, the old Max Bastard passes away, I get to become the next tiger. <laughs> well, uh, so will you, are you planning? So, okay. Jokes aside, though. I'm so sorry. Are you planning uh, yeah. to participate in the next outfit war? Yes. Actually. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. This is a great thing for the game. We want to go at it. You know, if they, if they think that killed us or we're down and out, you know, they'll, they're sorely mistaken. Do we sound demoralized or unpassionate to you like you're gonna see us next season and the season after that so uh you know we're coming for tiger's crown <laughs> there it is there it is ladies and gents recursion outfit wars season alpha 2 i suppose maybe we'll get to see recursion come back up against the space pigs that would be delightful um i didn't know uh lord toyga very well before all this went down, but I'm looking forward to seeing more of that action. Um, recursion, sale, disenfranchised theorem. This has been an amazing conversation, examination, debrief, and nay, philosophical examination of Planet Side as a whole. I've enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I think that we uh, are at a pretty good point with this conversation, and uh, maybe it's a good point for us to wrap up. So what I want to do is give each of you a chance to um, give us a parting word. And if you have a social media or something you'd like to promote, um, uh, you should feel free to go ahead and uh, drop that in. Uh, starting with sale. www.spacepigs.com Spacepigs. Disenfranchised. Uh, Recursion.tk Got anything for us there? Not much. Just click heads and do battle. Click heads. Praise Toyga. Recursion.tk. Ladies and gents, thank no, you. No, 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 not recursion.tk. Recursion.recursion.tk. That's the super secret website. Okay. I'm going to try to fit that into my, into my brain. Recursion.tk is now property of the space base. Hopefully someone in chat can actually write that out for me so I can remember. Well, this has been awesome. Um, thanks for joining me on Basement Side. I think I definitely need to grab your guys' thoughts at the end of the next season if you're game. And... Uh, Looking forward to more uh, Planet Side at its best. Thanks for having us. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And thanks to those on Twitch chat who've been Thank hanging you. out with us. Uh, lovely time. From my basement to yours, have a great night, and we'll catch you next time. Peace.